0: Today, as we go into chapter 3, we're going to see one of the most beautiful pictures of God's grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, and compassion in all of the Bible. And God calls Jonah to be the messenger. The people who seem the farthest from God might actually be the closest. Because God has been preparing their heart. And God's just waiting for Jonah to go. We live in Nineveh. THERE ARE NINEVITES ALL AROUND US. PEOPLE WHO ARE FAR FROM GOD BUT MAY BE CLOSER THAN WE REALIZE. GOD WANTS THEM TO EXPERIENCE HIS GRACE AND LOVE JUST LIKE YOU HAVE. AND YOU DON'T KNOW AND I DON'T KNOW HOW GOD MAY BE WORKING IN THEIR LIFE AND HE'S JUST WAITING FOR ONE OF US TO GO. SOME OF YOU, NOT MANY I HOPE, BUT SOME OF YOU ARE NOT GOING TO LIKE IT. YOU'RE NOT GOING TO LIKE WHAT HAPPENS ON EASTER You know, like what's happening in our growth right now. I know that because of what we're going to see next week in chapter 4. Well, guess what? It's next week. And we're going to find out. Are you guys ready to find out in chapter 4 what we were talking about? All right. Awesome. Well, if you haven't already take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to conclude our study in Jonah today. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, page 376, if you're using one of the Bibles you picked up when you came in uh, this morning. Let me just kind of set the context of what we're going to talk about this morning and what I was referring to last week when I said, you know, you look at all that God did in the book of Jonah. You look at all that God is doing to reach people for Christ here in our church, but yet, There may be a few, there may be some that don 't like what God is doing and let me kind of illustrate it this way um, how many guys uh, maybe grew up with a fireplace in your house but it was a wood burning fireplace not one of those like we have nowadays in most of our houses where you know you flip a light switch and the fire comes on but you actually used wood in your fireplace maybe some of you still have those uh, I grew up with a wood burning fireplace and in Oklahoma and I remember we would every year we'd have to buy like a cord of wood and then I help my dad unload it and stack it and we'd work our way through that in the wintertime and then usually we get down to the very end of the wood and and that, that last row that's been, you know, laying on the ground, you know, for several months, it looked really good on the outside. The outside of the wood looked good, looked like everything else. But then you'd pick it up, that one on the bottom, and you'd look underneath, and you'd be like, Eugh. you know what I'm talking about? It'd be all moldy and mildew, and there'd be bugs and ants and worms and all this stuff on it. And it was like, ew, you want to just put it back down. Well, today, we're going to kind of pick up the church. We're going to pick up our lives as believers, and, and we can, we're good as Christians at making sure everything looks right on the outside, looks really good, like we got it all together, everything's going on, but when you look underneath, sometimes the uh, is us, and our attitudes, and the way we see things, and do we see things the way that, that God sees them? And I want you to get this in your notes. This is really our main thought for today. You have it in your notes. As Christians, we need to understand it's not about our comfort. It's about His commission. It's not about being comfortable in our Christian life. It's about fulfilling God's commission. And God's commission for us is the same as it was for Jonah throughout this book. And what was his commission? We learned this last week. What what did God tell him to do? Go. He said, go to Nineveh and reach these people. Turn them back to God. If you haven't been here... And let me just kind of bring you up to speed as we finish out Jonah today. Uh, Jonah was a prophet, but he was a, a reluctant prophet. He didn't want to do what God had called him to do. God told him to go, and he said, no. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Uh, there were some 600,000 plus people that probably lived there, half a million uh, people. Uh, they didn't know God. They were they actually worshiped false gods. They were, uh, pagan gods and idols. Um, they were very far from God. And God wanted Jonah to go there and tell them how wicked and evil they were and try to turn them around and turn them back to God. Uh, but Jonah didn't want to do that. They were his enemies, so he ran from God. He got on a ship, tried to go in the opposite direction. God prepared a storm to get his attention. Then they threw Jonah overboard. God prepared a fish. We don't know if it was a whale. The Bible just says it was a fish. And so he was swallowed by the whale. God has his attention. He prays. He surrenders to God. You know, the fish vomits him up on the shore. He finally, we saw last week in chapter three, he goes to Nineveh. He shares the message uh, that God had for him. And the most amazing, incredible thing happens. So unexpected, the people listen to the message, they believe the message. It says they believe God and they turn to God. And God just completely turns this nation around and back to the true God. Now, you got to wonder, how did Jonah respond to this revival? Because we ended chapter 3 last week, and, you know, half a million people had turned their lives over to God. People who were far from God drew near to God. And can you imagine if this had happened to you? I mean, if God used you to bring over a half a million people to faith in Christ, how would you feel? I mean, you'd think Jonah would be falling on his knees and thanking God, and he would be just exhilarated. He would be celebrating. He would be so happy. He'd be like, oh, God, I should have listened to you in the first place. This is incredible what you have done. Well, today we're going to see simply two responses to what God did to turn a half a million people back to God and to save them. First, we're going to see Jonah's response to God and what he did. And then we're going to see God's response to Jonah. So you guys ready to find out? Now, some of you probably already read ahead. You cheated a little. That's okay. You have Bibles. You can do that. But coming right off of God, turning half a million people back to him, verse 1 says, but it displeased who, church? Jonah. He's displeased. And he's not just a little displeased. My Bible says, and it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I mean, he is upset, He is mad. He is ticked off. And it says, and he became, what? Angry. God just saved a half a million people, people who were pagan, heathen, wicked, barbaric, torturing people. God saves them, turns them back and God uses Jonah, and the next thing you read is Jonah's displeased and Jonah is angry. And when I read that, I'm like, "What? No sneaking away! Jonah, what is your problem? What, what is your deal? I mean, this was a huge, would you agree, church, this was a big, huge win for the kingdom of God? This was huge. I mean, this was a Gatorade moment. If we'd have been there, we'd have grabbed the Gatorade jug and we'd have dumped it on Jonah's head. You know, in victory of what God had done. I mean, if this had happened today, we'd want to put Jonah on the front cover of, you know, Christianity Today. Mel Gibson would probably want to do a movie. Jonah. Jimmy Fallon would be like, "Hey, come on! I want to interview you. Tell us about how these people turn back to God." He'd probably be on uh, front cover of Time magazine, sexiest man alive, Jonah. Okay, maybe not that part. I took it a little too far. But instead of Jonah being happy and thrilled about all these people's lives being radically changed, and he got to be a part of it, he's mad. He's really mad. He's angry. The word you have in your Bible, angry, comes from the Hebrew word hurrah, and it means this, to burn with fire. That's how mad he was. He was burning with fire. Jonah was a man on fire. You know, if you've been watching the Hunger Games movies, you know there's the girl on fire. This is the man on fire, Jonah. He's on fire with anger. Now, how does he deal with this anger? Well, he does what a lot of us do when we're angry. He prays to God, and he talks to God about his anger. And verse 2 says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, now this is the second time that we've seen Jonah praying in these four chapters. The first time Jonah was praying, he was in the belly of the fish for three days and he was praying for God to get him out of there. And he was praying for God's mercy, God's grace, God's compassion to get a second chance. Now he's praying because he's mad because God did, did that for somebody other than Jonah. And it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? I knew this was going to happen, God. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. This is when he was running from God. For I know, now watch this. Now, a lot of people, they see God in the New Testament. They say, Oh, he's this God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. But they read the Old Testament, all they see is a God of anger and wrath. Well, then you're not looking. Because listen to how this verse describes God in the Old Testament. Jonah says, I know your character, God. He said, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. Would you agree with that, church? Amen? You're a gracious and merciful God. You're slow to anger, unlike Jonah, who's quick to get angry. Abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And we learned last week that word relent can mean to show compassion instead of doing harm. What Jonah, Jonah is mad, and he's angry, and he, he's like, I knew, this is, a, I told you so moment, God. I told you so. I, I knew that you would do this. I knew you would show grace, you'd so, show mercy, love, and compassion on these people. And I don't like it. In verse 3, he goes on, and he says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so mad, he's like, I'd rather die than not get my own way. And what's he so angry about? That God showed loving kindness, grace, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness on the Ninevite people. And let me remind you in this study, the Ninevite people were the greatest of Israel's enemies. Israel hated them. Jonah hated them. He had been hurt by them. Uh, Many people believe that it's possible that Jonah's own family might have been skinned alive and beheaded by the Ninevites. We don't know for sure, but it's possible because we know that several times the Ninevites had came down and conquered northern Israel, which was the area where Jonah lived and where he was from. He had been hurt by them. He, he, he wanted anything for, but good for them. And when God showed his grace and mercy and love and compassion on them, he's mad about it. And Jonah is dealing with this great contradiction Here's the contradiction. I love it when God shows grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and gives me a second chance, like when I was in the belly of the fish. But I don't like it so much when God shows love, grace, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and a second chance for somebody that's hurt me, for somebody I don't like, for somebody who's my enemy for some half a million people. We, we know that it was, I, I had a couple of people ask this question, well, how do we know it was half a million people? Because in verse 11, as we'll see in just a moment, it refers to 120,000 people that lived in Nineveh that didn't know their right hand from the left. That's a Hebrew way of saying the infants. They don't even know their right hand from the left. They're just babies. So if there's 120,000 infants, you know there was many times more than that with moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And he's like, instead of celebrating the fact that all these people have been radically turned back to God... Because they had hurt him, and he didn't like them, and they were his enemies. He didn't like what God was doing, and it was a great contradiction. We sometimes live in this great contradiction, don't we? we? We love it when God shows grace, mercy, compassion for us and gives us a second chance. But do we feel the same way when God does it for somebody maybe we don't like? Maybe we don't care for? Maybe somebody we would say is our enemy, somebody that has hurt us? Somebody that we resent, we have bitterness towards, unforgiveness towards, somebody that we've been hurt by, we've been abused by, who's treated us wrong, said rumors about us. You know, the people that, we're the clo- that we are the closest to are the ones that can hurt us the most. Would you agree? Say yes. And this is really difficult when somebody you thought were your friend hurts you. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, a boss, a, a co-worker, a spouse, another believer, a pastor. Hopefully not this pastor. Somebody would say, they're my enemy. And then God does something amazing for them. How do we respond? Do we respond like Jonah? Or are we excited? You know, we just came out of the book of Ephesians a, a, few, month, a few weeks ago. And in Ephesians, Paul said this to believers. He said, listen, as Christians, we need to get rid of all bitterness, Rage. What's the next word? Anger. That's the condition that Jonah was in. Harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, we should be, what church? Kind to each other. And not just our friends, and not just our family, and not just the people we like, but to everybody. Why should we be kind and tenderhearted? Here's why. Here's the context. Forgiving one another just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You. We're to show the same love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and compassion to even our worst of enemies because God showed it to us. Do you see what's happening in this story, church? Jonah loved it when he experienced the blessings and second chance of God, but he didn't like it when somebody else experienced it. And let me just ask this question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to extend the same forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, and compassion to that God expressed to you when he saved you? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, there's somebody I need to ask forgiveness from. Jonah was messed up in his thinking. Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? And here's what I read into this. I can just see God going, come on, man. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The ESPN guys, football player makes a bad play. Come on, man. And I can just hear God saying that to Jonah. He's like, Jonah, come on, man. Is it right for you to be angry? He's trying to reason with them. You loved it when I forgave you and showed mercy, love, grace, compassion for you. I gave you a second chance. I could have left you in the belly of the whale, the fish. But now that I've shown this to the Ninevites, you're angry. Come on, man, really? And then Jonah plays the quiet game. You remember the quiet game? This was the, pa- the game your parents wanted you to play when you were riding on a long trip. You didn't want to play. But Jonah decides to play the quiet game. He gets real quiet. He's going to take his ball and go home. This is called being a man child. He's being a baby. Any, any y'all know anybody like that? Somebody's like a man child. Okay, raise your hand. You know somebody like that? Anybody sitting by oh, just kidding. No, no, don't point out the man-child here this morning. He's being a baby. He's pouting. He should be celebrating, and he's whining and pouting and crying because of what God has done for his enemies. Verse 5: Watch what Jonah does. Takes his ball and he goes home. Well, he goes outside the city. So Jonah went out of the city of Nineveh and he sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a little shelter. Because it was hot and he was in the desert and he sat under its shade till he might see what would become of the city. Because remember, the prophecy when he went into the city is in 40 days, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be destroyed because of your wickedness, and you're going to be punished or you're going to be overthrown in your heart and you're going to be changed and you're going to turn your lives to God. And and what we saw in chapter 3 is they were changed because they repented and turned to God. And so, but he's still thinking maybe, just maybe, God will still punish them. And so he, he climbs up, he hikes up this hill in the Mesopotamian desert. It's hot. He, he gets his lawn chair out. He makes him a little cabana. He's got an umbrella drink and plays a little Jimmy Buffett. And he's kicked back. And he's watching the city of Nineveh. And he's just hoping maybe God will still teach them a lesson. Maybe God will still remember their wickedness and how evil they were in the past, and he'll still punish them. And and you just hear Jonah, God, you need to teach these evil, wicked Ninevites a lesson. Well, God is about to teach a lesson. But it's not going to be to the Ninevites. It's going to be to Jonah. We've seen Jonah's response to God. Now let's watch God's response to Jonah, the man-child. Verse 6, and the Lord God prepared a plant. And the Lord God, what's the next word? Prepared. Thank you, three of you, appreciate it. And the Lord God prepared. Everybody say prepared. prepared. This is a key word in this story. We've seen this word a couple of times before, and now we're going to see it like three times in the next three verses. God prepared a plant. God has been preparing things in the life of Jonah from chapter 1 through chapter 4 because God is concerned with the details of our life. Amen? And he wants us to learn the lessons that he wants to teach us to make sure our heart is right and we're on the right track. And he keeps preparing these things for Jonah's life. God knows exactly what you and I and Jonah need when our hearts are not right with God and we're not thinking the right way god knew exactly what jonah needed and he knows exactly what we need to teach us the lessons and so here comes a lesson god is going to prepare some things to teach jonah a lesson about his anger about what god had done in these people's lives and the lord god prepared a what what's the next word a, a plant some of your bibles may say a vine a plant and made it come up over jonah Because it was very hot. So it's like God like sprung up overnight this palm tree in the desert to cover him and to give him some shade. That's gracious. That's merciful. That's compassionate. Would you agree? So God's once again showing compassion, mercy, grace, and love for Jonah. He loves Jonah. He cares about Jonah. So he prepares this palm tree, this this vine, this plant that it might be shade for his little head. He's probably bald to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah, now watch this. Now Jonah, he goes for mad. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He's happy again because he's experiencing God's blessings and God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion. And he loves when God does that for him. You see what's going on here? He loves this. He's happy again. He's very, very grateful. But God, here comes a lesson. But as morning dawned, the next day, God, what's the next word? Prepared something different. But he's still working in the details of Jonah's life. He prepared a worm. And it damaged the plant so that it withered away. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. Uh, They call this today in the Mesopotamian desert the Sirocco wind. And it will blow in. And it's already so hot and it will blow the heat up to like 125, 130 degrees. It's like you you stuck your head in a furnace, And now there's no plant. There's there's nothing covering him. And God's preparing this wind and the worm that's destroyed the plant. And the sun beat on Jonah's little bald head. I'm just guessing. And so he grew faint. Now he's about to pass out. He's so hot. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Now he's unhappy again. And then God said to Jonah, Jonah, come on, man. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. (laughs) He is a mess. Jonah's a mess. And here's what's interesting at this point in the story. I mean, I don't even have to say a lot for you guys to get this. Jonah loves the God of the plant. But he doesn't like the God of the worm and the wind. And aren't we like that? We love when God prepares blessings and second chances and grace and compassion and forgiveness in our life. But we don't like it so much when God sends a worm. We don't like it when God prepares a wind to get our attention. But if we stopped right here, there's a great lesson in this story. Christians, listen, all of us, this is how God spoke to me this week. We need to thank God as much for the worm and the wind as we do the plant. We can all look back to things in our life that we would say, that was a worm. That was a wind. But that got my attention and God did something to turn my heart and my life around. But all Jonah can think about is the plant. The plant. Where's my plant? Now here comes the real lesson. In verse 10 and 11. Because what the the real issue here is, Jonah should have been so excited about a half a million people turning their lives to God. And instead, he's angry about it. And so God sends the plant to cover him. He takes it away. And now he's mad. Now watch the lesson. God has a couple of questions for Jonah. But the Lord said, Jonah, you have had pity, compassion on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, It came up in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, over a half a million people that didn't know me, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left, and much livestock. Awkward. Why did you just walk off? Because that's how I felt when I read this. Were any of you all like me? You get to that last verse 11. God's asked these two questions. He ends with a question. I'm like, where's the rest of Jonah? I'm missing a page in my Bible. God just leaves us hanging. He asks these probing questions to teach Jonah a lesson. And it's like, he just walks off. But has he not made his point? He's definitely made his point. And what God is saying is, Jonah, you care more about a plant than people. It was all about Jonah. It was all about Jonah's way instead of God's way. It was all about Jonah's will instead of God's will. It was all about Jonah's comfort instead of God's commission to go and turn people to God. And I could just hear God, come on, man, really? Jonah, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. God's concern was about reaching a generation of people that were pagan, heathen people far from God. That's the story of Jonah, why he sent him to go. That was his commission. God was concerned about a generation of people that needed God. Jonah, what are you concerned about? My plant. My shade. Jonah, I'm concerned about a generation of people that don't know me, that are far from me, that need my love, my grace, my compassion, my redemption, my, a second chance just like you got, Jonah. Jonah, what are you concerned about? I'm hot. I'm miserable. I'm far from home. I don't like these people. They're my enemy. God's like, really? Come on, man. Think about this. And we have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself, what are we most concerned about in our life? What's our plant? What represents our plant that we're more concerned about than God's plan and God's people that he wants to reach? God says, I... I, Do you believe God, listen, church, do you believe God is just as concerned about reaching this generation of people in the times we live in as he was reaching the Ninevites 2,500 years ago? Absolutely. That's why we're here, that's why this church was started. God says, I am concerned about reaching a generation of people that don't know me, that are far from me. I'm concerned about children that don't know me. I'm concerned about teenagers that don't know me. I'm concerned about moms and daddies that don't know me. I'm concerned about grandmas and grandpas that don't know me. I'm concerned about aunts and uncles and friends and coworkers and even your enemies. I'm concerned about them. I want to reach them, and I want to use you and me. And here's the reality, and here's the eh that's tough to look at underneath the wood. Some Christians today, I hope not many, but some Christians are more concerned about plants than people. Whatever that plant represents, what's your plant? You you know, um, I've been in uh, full-time vocational ministry for almost 25 years now, and I've, I've served in... Several different churches for different lengths of time, and um, I've watched Christians and and I've watched churches and if you ever noticed Christians can get upset about the silliest stuff and Satan loves to get our eyes on everything but what God wants our eyes to be on, which is reaching a generation of people and serving God and honoring God. Um, I'll tell you a story about one of the churches I was in. It was the first church I pastored in Indiana. Um, They're not here, so we can talk about them. And so, when we went to that church, it was a church that was 50 years old. And it looked like it was 50 years old. I mean, everything inside, it hadn't been like remodeled in like 30 years. And last time it had been remodeled was like in the 70s. And so, it had like blue carpet and green walls and, you know, orange doors. And I mean, it it needed all kinds of work. And, you know the church when I came to it was literally dying I mean it was literally dying they were not reaching the next generation of people they were not reaching young families they were not reaching you know young couples they were not reaching kids I mean there was like just a handful of kids in the in the children's ministry and and they were dying they were like we need a pastor who come in and help us reach the next generation I said okay but you have to understand to do that we, we may have to change some things and you all know how we love change And so I said, our message will not change. I promise you as your pastor, I will preach the word of God. I will not deviate from the word of God. Our message will never change, but our methods have to. And so we started making some changes to reach the next generation. And we started seeing people come. And I remember one of the things we had to do was get rid of the God awful auditorium decor And and in the baptistry, you you know, from a church with a baptistry. In the baptistry, there was this painting that had been hanging in the baptistry. You had to look at it during the message every week. And it was this ugly mountain-looking lake scene deal. And somebody's second cousin's uncle's best friend had painted it like 40 years ago. And it had been hanging there as an icon in the church. I mean, it wasn't even a cross. It was just a painting of a mountain scene. And not a good one. And so I was like, that painting has to go. We got to take that down. It's not going to fit everything else we're doing. And I had a family in the church, and this is what they said. They said, if the day that painting goes down is the day we leave, that was their plan. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to cause any problems. Oh, wait, we've got to get rid of this painting. What are we going to do? And so I prayed about it, and I think this was from God. I think. I went to him, and I said, I have an idea. You love this painting. It's really meaningful to you. I don't, you know, I understand that. So I'm going to take the painting down. We're going to have some guys in our church take it. We're going to get a nice frame it. We're going to bring it to your house. You tell us where to hang it, and we'll hang it in your house, your living room, your kitchen. You tell us where. We'll put it up, and you can always enjoy this. And i was serious, this painting. And you know what she said? She goes, I don't want that thing in my house. And I said, God doesn't want it in his either. <laughs> they never said another word. And they stayed. It's just crazy. But, but here's the deal. Here's the problem. Some Christians, if we're not careful, and this can happen without us even recognizing it, until we look under the wood. Some Christians are surrendered to the personal will of God, but not the global will of God. L- let me explain. A lot of Christians are, are surrendered to the personal will of God. I go to church faithfully. I pray. I read my Bible. I, I-, I even give. They're surrendered to the personal will of God. But don't ask me to serve to help reach another generation. Don't ask me to witness and share my faith to reach this generation. Don't ask me to invite people and put myself out there. Don't ask me to be discipled or disciple others. Don't ask me to go to a small group or host a small group. There's a lot of Christians, if we're honest, that are surrendered to the personal will of God, but not the global purposes of God. If that makes sense, say yes. That was Jonah. He was a good man. Jonah was a good man. He loved God. But it was all just about him and God. He never got his eyes on the generation of people that needed God. And I think as you read this story, Jonah wasn't as afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him when he went to Nineveh as he was what God might do for the Ninevites. To show grace, mercy, compassion. He's like, oh God, I knew you would do that. And he should have been celebrating that over a half a million people turned their lives radically, changed around over to God. Instead, he's mad and He's angry. Now, what does that have to do with us? It has a lot. It can have a lot to do with us. Because I believe God is interested in reaching this generation of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thankfully, we've seen God do some incredibly amazing things in the short eight years in the life of Orchard Church. God's doing it through a lot of churches. But I want to just talk about our church for a minute and what God's doing in this church. We've been seeing people come to Christ every service, every week. For months and months and years and years. And as I said last week, people say, well, you know, aren't we big enough? It's never about numbers. We're never focused on numbers. We're focused on reaching people for Jesus. We're focused on being a healthy church. And if we're a healthy church, I believe that God will take care of the rest. And we, anything that's healthy naturally grows. Would you agree? And so we're not focused on numbers. But I'm not going to apologize. And we're not going to feel bad about reaching numbers of people. Because numbers represent names. And names represent lives. And lives represent souls. And people that need Jesus. And let me just share with you some of what God has done just in the last two years here at Orchard Church. How God has turned people who are far from God to God. We, I checked it out this week. We've had over 665 people put their faith and trust in Christ here through our services and ministries of Orchard Church in just the last two years. Just the last two years. We have, uh, we've seen over 200 people follow the Lord in believers' baptism by immersion that we baptized 200 in two years. We've had over 300 people become members of Orchard Church. They've connected to our church and said, this is my church home where I'm going to serve. I'm going to worship. I- I- I'm going to call it my church family. We've had as many as 40 small groups with 10, 15 people in those groups connecting in relationships. We have right now over 150 people that are connected in one-on-one discipleship, growing in their faith. We started Celebrate Recovery in the last two years, and as of uh, the end of this semester in the spring, we will have graduated 42 people through our Celebrate Recovery program, people who have gotten off drugs and alcohol and gotten over hurts and habits and hang-ups, and their lives have radically been turned around and changed. We've seen another church started right out of this church, and we're ready to do it again. Orchard Church of Erie is now going into their fourth year. They're self-supportive, independent. God is blessing. They're growing reaching people for Christ. We helped start a church in the Philippines. We helped start a church uh, right now called Ignite down in the Highlands Highlands Ranch area. We're helping a church planter in St. Louis right now, financially every month. We're, we're praying right now about starting a Spanish-speaking orchard church in Commerce City. Um, I just got off the phone this week from Peter Obermann, our missionary to Slovakia. He said, I've got some incredible news. If you remember when he was here, he's like, I feel like God wants me to, to start another church. He said, just in the last couple of months, I've started meeting with about 30 young people in our community, Some are believers, some are not. And he goes, I believe this is going to be the beginning the seeds of that brand new church, and and we're going to be able to help him with that. We've seen three feeding centers started in the Philippines and Haiti and Mexico. We support five missionaries full-time significantly every month, about four times the amount that most churches uh, support missionaries. We support local missions like Denver Rescue Mission. We support them financially. We support Life Choices Pregnancy Center. A lot of you guys, the last couple of weeks, you've been filling baby bottles with coins. I'm happy to tell you guys, in the last month, you've raised over $3,000 for Life Choices PREGNANCY CENTER THAT'S SOMETHING TO CELEBRATE THAT'S SOMETHING TO CELEBRATE HOW CAN WE NOT BE EXCITED AND HAPPY ABOUT THAT AND MOST OF YOU ARE MAYBE ALL OF YOU ARE BUT I KNOW NOT ALL OF YOU ARE BECAUSE HERE'S WHAT'S SAD AND WHAT BREAKS MY HEART AND I DON'T UNDERSTAND THAT SOME SOME PEOPLE NOT MANY But every once in a while, there's a few that don't like what God is doing. And their attitude is just like Jonah because it infringes on their comfort. And I just want to say, come on, man. Really? I know this because we hear every once in a while something like this. We're just not the same church we were a few years ago. Yeah, you're right. We've reached hundreds and hundreds of people for Jesus. We're not the same church. And we're not going to be the same church if we're focused on the commission. And we should celebrate that. Let's not commit the sin of Jonah, where it's all about me. It's about my seat, my friends, my reputation. You know, we hear people say, well, I just don't know everybody at Orchard Church anymore. Welcome to the club. I used to, and God convicted me about this. I was going to be one of those pastors. I knew the name of every person. And I did really good up to about 500 people. Now I'm just guessing most of the time. I'm trying. But my little brain can only handle so much. And you know what? People say that, you know, like in a bigger church, they say, well, you can't, I don't know everybody. You show me a church over about 100 people, you're not going to know everybody. But you can know somebody. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have discipleship. Let's not make excuses. The opportunity is there. But sometimes it's all about me, my friends, my, my reputation, my seat. Somebody's in my seat. My... Pastor Doug's asking me to get up and go to the 8 o'clock service on Easter. I cannot believe that he would ask me to do that. Some people, I feel like I've lost my pastor. This has been one of the hardest things for me to deal with if I can share my heart. I have the heart of a pastor. I want to know all of you guys. I want to minister to all of you guys. I want to be in all of your homes. I, I want to. I can't. We had almost 1,200 last Sunday in three services. It, and praise God for that. And I, I wish I could, I could meet every one of your needs. But you know what I read in my Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11? It's not my responsibility personally to meet all of your needs. It's my responsibility to equip you guys so we meet each other's needs. And, and, and that's what we're trying to do. But let's not get caught up in plants instead of people. Let's not be what most American Christianity today is, is today: consumers instead of contributors. And the problem, the yuck is good Christians who are committed to the personal will of God but show little concern for the global purposes of God, to go. To our Nineveh. I told you last week, I'll tell you again, we live in Nineveh. 90% of Coloradans claim no church affiliation whatsoever, which means many of them do not know Jesus. It's not about our comfort. It's about his commission, his commission to go. Now listen, I don't want you guys walking out of here feeling like, man, we got beat up today. Because <laughs> here's the good news. Most of you, most of you, most of you have a heart to reach this generation for Jesus. And thank you for that heart. Most of you are concerned about what God is concerned about. I want all of you to be concerned about what God is concerned about. Most of you are concerned about reaching this generation for Jesus. You know how I know this? Because you're willing to serve to help us reach this generation. You're willing to set up and tear down. You're willing to help and celebrate recovery. You're willing to help us host a small group. You're willing to disciple people. You're willing to give not just your tithe, but give to missions, to feeding centers, and give to, you know, Denver Rescue Mission, and and, uh, give to our our pregnancy center, Life Choices. And, And so many of you, most of you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're doing this because you want to see this generation reached for Jesus. You're concerned about what Jesus is concerned about. I know this also because we had, uh, it takes about 250, 300 volunteers a week to do all of our ministries and children's ministry and all of that serving. We ask you guys, can some of you help us for Easter? We had over 50 people and families sign up last week and said, I'll help serve on Easter. Some people brand new here came one week and they said, I'll help serve. That's people that are concerned about reaching this generation. I know that you guys are going to show your concern for this generation of people because you guys are not going to come to 9.30 next week. You're going to come to the 8 o'clock service. (laughs) And if you can't come to the 8, then come to the 9.30 or come to the 11 or come Saturday night. We want you here. But you're you're concerned about these things. We almost ran out of invite cards last week because you guys are concerned about this generation of people and you guys were taking them by the stacks and you were handing them out. Thank you for being a church. I can't tell you what a privilege it is and how much fun we're having making a difference in this community together. People, pastoring people who are concerned about this generation of people are Ninevites. Thank you for not being people who sin the sin of Jonah, a Christianity that's all about me. You think about it this way, church. What brought you to Jesus? It probably wasn't some deep theological study It was somebody who cared about you. Somebody reached out to you. They showed love. They showed grace. They showed mercy. They showed compassion to you. They invited you to church. They invited you to small group. And that's what brought you to Jesus. Is that true? Say yes. We're going to close in a song in just a moment as we do most of our services here at Orchard Church. And we always want these songs to be a song of response to the message but but it's easy sometimes when there's songs we sing a lot to just sing them and go through the motions and we're already thinking about lunch and getting out of here and is it snowing yet and all that kind of stuff, and I, I want to just read to you the lyrics of the song we're going to close with because I want it to be a song of response today, a song that's the declaration of our hearts as individuals and corporately at Orchard Church, and you have it on your newsletter. Let me just read these words: Everyone needs compassion, not not just some people, not just our friends and family and the people we like. Everyone, do you believe that, church? Even our enemies, the Ninevites, everyone needs compassion. You know where they're going to see that compassion? As we show them the compassion of Jesus. Love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me, God. Let me show mercy, grace, and compassion to people that don't know Jesus. Everyone needs forgiveness. Just as you needed forgiveness, others need forgiveness. The kindness of our Savior. The same kind of kindness He showed us, we want Him to show to others and see it through our lives. He's the hope of what? Nations. This generation. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures. God, you can use me. Fill my life again. Help me not to just be focused on the personal will of God. Help me to be focused on the global will of God. This generation of people. I give my life to follow TO GO, EVERYTHING I BELIEVE IN, NOW I SURRENDER, I SURRENDER. AS WE CLOSE THE BOOK OF JONAH, JONAH ENDS WITH AN UNANSWERED QUESTION. GOD SAYS TO JONAH, JONAH, DO YOU CARE ABOUT THIS GENERATION OF PEOPLE? DO YOU CARE ABOUT PEOPLE MORE THAN YOUR PLANT? WE DON'T KNOW HOW JONAH ANSWERED THAT QUESTION. God doesn't tell us. He just ends with the question. Are you concerned about this generation of people? Here's the deal. We don't need to know. The issue isn't how Jonah answered that question today. The the issue is how will we answer that question? How will you answer that question? Will you answer that question and say, I will go to Nineveh? I will help reach this generation for Jesus I will show compassion I will help fulfill his commission instead of my comfort I'll celebrate when lives are changed they're not an inconvenience it's something to rejoice over I will be as focused on God's global will as I am his personal will I want to be concerned about fulfilling his commission not just my comfort would you bow your heads with me this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed church If you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, and you would say, I want to fulfill God's global will. I want to be concerned more about people than plants. And I know that I need to do my part. Whatever that is, however God speaks to you, whether it's serving, inviting, whatever, I want to do my part. God has spoken to me today. I want to be more concerned about people than plants. Would you lift up your hand for prayer? Can I pray for you all across this auditorium? Lift it up. God has spoken to me. I need to get my eyes on this generation. Lift them up high, church. Lift them up high. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you, I know, you're already focused on this. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would be a church. We would be a a generation of people. We would be Christians who would be focused on reaching people for Jesus. And that we would go that we'd be more concerned about your commission than our comfort. Thank you that so many in our church are already doing this and already get this. And I pray, God, that we would just all celebrate and rejoice together that we're a part of what you're doing in this place, in this community at this time. That we'd celebrate what we're gonna see on Easter Sunday as hundreds of people come to, to know you as Lord and Savior. As we fill this stage with testimonies of people whose lives have been changed right here through this church and this ministry. And that that we would celebrate that together. And we'd never see it as an inconvenience that we'd get our eyes off of plants and on people with heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you'd say I- i've never invited jesus to be lord and savior of my life this message is for you god's concerned about you he's concerned about you today is what we call historically palm sunday it represents the day that jesus rode into jerusalem and then it, this starts the Passion Week where Jesus was falsely accused, arrested, and then he went to a cross and he died and he was crucified for you. And then we're going to celebrate next Sunday the fact that he was in the tomb three days, but then he rose from the dead. He did that to save you, to forgive you, to give you eternal life. If you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, his concern today is for you. And you can give your heart and your life to him right now where you sit. Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity from your heart to God's in faith to call on the Lord right now. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray from your heart to God's. Listen, it's not a magic prayer, magic words, but if you put faith behind it, Jesus will come into your life today. He'll change you no matter what you've done. You may say, I'm so far from God. No one's so far from God that, that God can't save them see that with the Ninevites. Let me lead you in this prayer of faith if you're ready to invite Jesus in. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross to save me, to forgive me of my sins that separated me from you. I don't want to be separated from you any longer. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, thank you, Jesus, for loving and forgiving me. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but nobody looking around for just a moment. If you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I just want to pray for you personally. Would you slip up your hand and say, yes, Pastor Doug, I prayed that prayer. God bless you, sir. I prayed that prayer. Would you pray for me? I invited Jesus into my life for the first time. Thank you. God bless you. Yes, in the top, a young person, God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. I, I prayed that prayer, and I put my faith in Jesus today, I re- and I meant it anyone else let me pray for you Father I, I thank you for those who put their faith and trust in you today for the first time God I pray their lives would never be the, the same I pray that as a church family we'd meet them the way you do with grace love mercy and compassion that we take them by the spiritual hand help disciple them and help them to grow in maturity in their walk with you thank you for being a God who loves us and Lord once we know you help us to share with others what we've experienced in our own lives help us to be more concerned about your commission than our comfort And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you just made a decision for Jesus, please let us know that on your connection card and drop in the offering bucket. We're gonna send you a little book in the mail free that just helps you in your uh, walk with Christ. Um, If you're a first-time guest, hope you filled out your connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket and receive our gifts in just a moment. Uh, Thank you for being our guest and coming uh, today. Um, Looking forward to an incredible Easter weekend. One service on Saturday, our three normal ones on Sunday. Uh, Next week, keep inviting people. It's going to be incredible. And uh, church, I think we have a lot to celebrate what God has been doing and is doing in our midst. Can we celebrate that (laughs) right now? Praise God for that. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's close in a response of worship to what God has done in our hearts today.